the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. The name Zebulun means exalted or raised up. And the geographic region of Zebulun has a lot of mountains. And Zebulun is literally raised up or exalted in the mountains. The territory of Zebulun sat between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. So that's why it's a haven for ships, or it will be a haven for ships according to this prophecy. Understand, when Jacob gives this prophecy, the land of Israel hasn't even been divided up among the tribes yet. Isn't that amazing? Not only was the land not divided up, the people of Israel wouldn't even be there for another 500 years. How could Jacob know what would happen to his kids? It was because he had a really tight relationship with God, and he had a prophetic gift. And you'll hear more about the remarkable things Jacob had to say about his sons in Pastor Dan's teaching today. You'll be encouraged to become the kind of parent whose relationship with God will enable you to speak powerfully into your kids' lives, too. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Genesis, chapter 49, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. going to be in Genesis 49 again, if you want to turn there in your Bible. We're also going to look at 1 Chronicles 12, if you want to go ahead and find that and put a bookmark in 1 Chronicles 12, so that you can turn there quickly when the time comes. 1 Chronicles 12, Genesis 49, we pick up in verse 8, where we read, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh or Shiloah comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it's alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that it speaks to us. 
We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word today. I pray and ask, Lord, that your spirit would be upon me to teach your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So in chapter 49, as most of you know, Jacob is on his deathbed, literally. He knows that he's dying. And so he calls his 12 sons to his bedside to share a final word with each of his sons before he departs this life and goes into glory. And so we have this beautiful and moving scene here of a father with his sons for one final conversation. And Jacob's final words to each of his sons are prophetic. They're prophecy. That is, his words describes what will happen to the tribes of Israel, to the families of his 12 sons in the future, the prophetic. And this chapter is a powerful example in the Bible of predictive prophecy, predicting future events for each of the 12 tribes. And the wonderful thing for us is we can read these prophecies here of what Jacob says prophetically to each son, and then we can trace out these prophecies in the Bible. And we can read and see how they were later fulfilled in their history. So today we're going to look at Jacob's final words to his sons, Judah, Zebulun, and Issachar. And we begin with Judah in verses 8 to 12, and Jacob's final words to Judah. And before we look at, look at that and dig into that, I want to remind you that Reuben was the firstborn son in the family, but Reuben forfeited his role as the firstborn son by sinning against his father. And now Joseph and Judah share the role of the firstborn son and the responsibility of the firstborn son in the family, kind of in place of Reuben. Joseph received a double portion of the inheritance, something normally given to the firstborn. And Judah, as we see here in our text today, he received the leadership role in the family. And so now Joseph and Judah together kind of step into that role of the firstborn son. And so it's not surprising that Jacob has more to say to Joseph and Judah than the other sons here in chapter 49. Joseph and Judah received the longest patriarchal blessing from their father in this chapter. And so now the blessing of Judah. The name Judah means praise. And in verse 8, Jacob begins Judah's blessing by saying, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. So it's a, it's a play on words with Judah's name. Praise, <laughs> you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your brothers shall praise you. In the future, again, remember, as Jacob is saying this, they're living down in Egypt at this time. And they're going to, you know, the children of Israel are going to be in Egypt for 400 years. But in the future, Judah will be raised up into a leadership role in Israel. And the other tribes of Israel will praise Judah. So this is the prophecy that he speaks over Judah. And we see it fulfilled in later passages in the Bible. For example, when Israel was delivered out of their bondage in Egypt and they were marching through the wilderness, 
the tribes were commanded by the Lord to travel in a particular order. And God commanded the tribe of Judah to go first, to lead the way ahead of the other tribes. Then in the book of Joshua, after the Israelites conquered the promised land and they began dividing up the land and assigning allotments to the different tribes, Judah received the first allotment before the other tribes. So we see where Judah is first elsewhere in the Bible. Judah also received one of the largest and most important parcels of land. And Judah was also the largest tribe by population. In the New Testament, the territory of Judah is called Judea. Matthew chapter 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In Judah, that's the idea. And so Judah is raised up into this leadership role over the tribes of Israel. Judah's prominence and position among the tribes of Israel is even evident today in the fact that all Israelites identify themselves as Jews. They don't identify themselves by their individual tribes. They don't say, I'm a Gadite or a Danite or a Reubenite. All Israelites call themselves Jews. The word Jew is a shortened form of Judah. And so all Israelites living today, they identify with that one tribe of Judah by calling themselves Jews. Jacob goes on in this prophecy. In verse 8, he says, Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, speaking of Judah's military dominance over her enemies. This was fulfilled in the days of King David. David was of the tribe of Judah. And David actually quotes this verse to describe his military victories in Psalm 18, verses 39 and 40. David writes, For you have armed me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies, so that I destroy those who hate me. And so again, there's this prophecy about the future military dominance of Judah, fulfilled during the time of King David. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Again, this is speaking of the leadership role of the tribe of Judah. The kings of Israel will come from Judah, starting with David. And of course, the greatest descendant of the tribe of Judah is Jesus Christ. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, and Jesus is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we're told in Philippians that one day every knee will bow down to him and every tongue will confess him as Lord. And so this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 9, Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? You know, it's interesting as we, as we work our way through chapter 49, uh, in these prophecies, Jacob uses five different animals as symbols of the various tribes. Judah, he says, is like a lion. A lion, of course, is the king of the jungle. 
In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And now that brings us to verse 10. And verse 10 is a very remarkable prophecy and has a very uh, kind of interesting story connected to it. In verse 10, it says, now look at this prophecy. Again, this is when they're in Egypt. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him, to Shiloh, shall be the obedience of the people. Now, Shiloh is one of the names of the Messiah. It's a messianic name. And Shiloh literally means to whom it belongs. Your translation might even say that instead of saying Shiloh, to whom it belongs. Pastor Dan will have more to share from today's Ring of Truth study in just a moment. But right now, he'd like to invite you to worship with us this Sunday morning. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you a little more. I heard recently that many people who listen to Christian radio are not part of a local church. Hey, if that's you, I'd like for you to join us this weekend as our guest at Calvary Chapel located in Columbia, Maryland. The teachings you've enjoyed here on Ring of Truth are from messages I've shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel. We have two meeting times on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. You can find out more and get directions at our website, calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Now let's get back to today's message on Ring of Truth. So this prophecy, it's a remarkable prophecy. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, until the Messiah comes, the one to whom the scepter belongs. Judah will produce the royal line of kings, beginning with David, to rule over Israel. The right of kingship will always be in the tribe of Judah and no other. And Judah will produce the Messiah, Shiloh, Jesus Christ, the one to whom the right to rule belongs. The scepter that is mentioned here, the staff, was a sign or a symbol of royal authority. The authority to make and enforce laws. The authority to punish people for breaking the law. The authority that is given to the king over the people. If you remember, when the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus before crucifying him, remember they put a crown of thorns on his head, They put a purple robe on his back, and it says they put a scepter in his hand. And then they bowed down before him, mocking him before they beat him and led him out to be crucified. They mocked him for being the king of the Jews. That's what Jesus was condemned for. That was his crime, being the king of the Jews. Remember, even Pontius Pilate had a sign placed above Jesus' head on the cross that said he was the king of the Jews. Of the Jews. So this prophecy in verse 10 says, The scepter, this authority, shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. In other words, the Messiah would come before Judah ever lost the right to enforce the laws of God over their people. So then the obvious question is when was the right to enforce the laws of God taken away from Judah? Because this prophecy is saying the Messiah must come before that happened. Why, I can tell you 
when they lost the right to enforce the laws over their people. And that was during the Roman time, when the Romans were ruling over them, specifically in 7 AD. We know the year. In 7 AD, the Romans took the authority from the Jews, took the authority from the line of Judah to rule over their people and to enforce their laws. Now, if you remember, when Jesus Christ was brought by the religious leaders to Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, John chapter 18, they bring Jesus to the Roman governor, Pilate, and Pilate said to the leaders of the Jews, you take him and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to Pilate, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. We don't have the authority to put him to death. Well, since when? Since when do they not have the authority? Since 7 AD. In 7 AD, the Romans took that authority from the Jewish people. So in 7 AD, that is when the scepter departed from Judah. Now, here's the thing. This is where the, I love this kind of historical stuff. I hope you do too. If not, you're just going to have to bear with me for a couple minutes. When the Romans issued that decree, taking that authority from the Jewish people, the historian Josephus tells us that when that decree was issued, the high priest of Israel went throughout the streets of Jerusalem wearing sackcloth and ashes, crying out, Woe unto us, the scepter has been taken from us, and Shiloh has not come. The word of God has failed. And he didn't know that the Messiah had come. And was living as a little boy in Nazareth. The word of God did not fail. The word of God never fails. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It doesn't fail. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. The word of God never fails. Even if we think the word of God has failed, it's just we don't have all the information. And for that high priest, he didn't know, he didn't realize that the Messiah had come. Most scholars believe that Jesus was born around the year 6 B.C. to 4 B.C. And so that means that in the year that the Romans took the ruling authority from Judah in 7 A.D. and the high priest went through the streets lamenting that the scepter has been taken from Judah and Shiloh has not come. That means Jesus would have been about 12 years old. You know what happened in Jesus' life when he was 12 years old? The one story that's recorded for us. In the Gospels, when Jesus was 12, and Joseph and Mary took Jesus up to the temple to celebrate the Passover, and then they leave at the end of the feast, and they think Jesus is just with them in the multitude traveling back to Galilee. They get a daze down the road. It's evening time. They realize Jesus isn't with them. They return back to Jerusalem. And where do they find Jesus? They find Jesus in the temple, it says, sitting with the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And it says, And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And it was when Jesus was 12 years old that he revealed his knowledge in the temple. Possibly the same year as this Roman decree when the scepter departed from Judah. We can't say for sure. 
It's about the same time. So verse 11 now. The prophecy for Judah continues. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, typically, you wouldn't bind your donkey or tie your donkey to a choice vine because the donkey would just sit there and eat all the grapes off the choice vine. But what this prophecy is indicating is that the prosperity of Judah will be so abundant that you can bind your donkey to a choice vine and just let him eat the choice grapes. It doesn't matter because you have so much, you have plenty. He tells us here this idea of washing your clothes in the blood of grapes. The idea here is wine will be as plentiful as water. And you can wash your clothes in wine if you want to. I don't know why you would want to do that, but there's plenty of wine to do that if you'd like to do that. He mentions here that his eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. This speaks of health, uh, physical health. And I believe this part of the prophecy about Judah, I believe this is describing the kingdom age when Jesus Christ returns to the earth and establishes his kingdom on the earth, and it'll be a time of great abundance and great prosperity under King Jesus. Now, in verse 13, we come to Zebulun, a prophecy about Zebulun. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Now, Zebulun's territory was located in the Galilee region of Israel in the north, The name Zebulun means exalted or raised up. And the geographic region of Zebulun has a lot of mountains. And Zebulun is literally raised up or exalted in the mountains. The territory of Zebulun sat between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. So that's why it's a haven for ships or it will be a haven for ships according to this prophecy. Understand when Jacob gives this prophecy... The land of Israel hasn't even been divided up among the tribes yet. And so he's talking about Zebulun being a haven for ships there between the Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. Plus, there's a trade route called the Via Maris, the way of the sea. It passes right through the land of Zebulun. And so all of the trade that is passing through the region, it goes through the land of Zebulun, making Zebulun very important and very strategic economically, and very wealthy. I want to share with you just a few characteristics about the tribe of Zebulun that I think are worth noting. In Judges, Zebulun demonstrated exceptional courage when some of the tribes of Israel were afraid to even go out and fight. Zebulun demonstrated courage. In Judges chapter 5, verse 18, it says of Zebulun, that Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. They were willing to lay down their lives in the battle. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're also told to lay down our lives for Christ. Oh, maybe not physically for most of us or maybe even all of us, but we are called to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and not live for ourselves but live for Jesus Christ 
deny ourselves, not count our lives dear to ourselves, as the Apostle Paul says, to live for Christ and not for self. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Pastor Dan has been teaching through the book of Genesis. Although some might view Genesis simply as a historical account of genealogies, the undercurrent throughout this book entails a broader understanding of God's nature toward His people. You're introduced to God's care and concern for His creation, how sin stained what God had created, and what God intended to do to atone for the sin that overshadowed the world altogether. God's plan included a Savior that would envelop His creation in love and sacrifice that might seem incomprehensible to the average person. But God's ways are higher than anything that we as humans can understand. Yet He chose to come to our level anyway. That's a Creator God who's invested for the long haul. If anything about today's message has struck a chord with you, we'd like to talk with you. Please give us a call at 410-491-4592. That number again is 410-491-4592. You can also send us an email through our website, calvaryec.com. If you're not connected yet with a local church, we highly encourage you to find a church home that will help guide and support you in your growing faith. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pastor Dan will have more to share from the book of Genesis next time, right here on Ring of Truth. Recognize the hands that craft and am what I know because I know his voice, and it only takes willingness and a conscious choice. You need not guess there's a thing of truth that is unmistakable, and knowing that you cannot find alone. And if you listen carefully, and sometimes even if you General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.